Hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's New Moon Meditation Meeting. Our theme today is world unity, and we will be focusing on some of the many different forms this very important ideal takes. As we all know, humanity holds many divergent views on what exactly this ideal entails and also the means that should be used to achieve it. The ideal of world unity cuts across a number of fields of human thinking, including the political, the economic, the cultural, and even ethical fields of thought. This makes the issue more complicated, of course, but also highlights how important it really is. And so today we will have a brief presentation on this theme, followed by a group meditation, and we will conclude with a group discussion. And some of you may have noticed we have turned on closed captioning um, at the bottom of the screen. And if this distracts you, you can turn it off. All you need to do is go to your Zoom tab, which is either at the top or the bottom of your screen and click the little square that says CC on it. There may be a small arrow there. In any case, you can select that to turn off the closed captioning if you wish. And for those who sometimes have problems um, understanding or hearing the presentation that's given, there's also a transcript that has been posted in the chat as well. So as many of us know that the new moon is a time to consider the many ways in which the power of the one life and the love of the one soul are working out in human affairs. And nowhere is this working out more apparent than through the idea of world unity. Our meditation and discussion here today, as I've already said, will help us enter into this field of thought and to clarify the many divergent perspectives and opinions which exist within human thinking at this time. When we can see things as they are and free from our own self-created thought forms and prejudices, then we begin to notice that those things which seem on their face to be in stark opposition may in fact be compatible when they are pared down to their essential principles. The value of our work here in meditation and in thought is that the way between which synthesizes the many discordant lines of thought begins to emerge. The whole theme of sight and vision is that which occult meditation aims to develop. The ability to see things both as they are and to discern how they should be is one of the important roles that this discipline has to play in furthering humanity's social and spiritual evolution. And so as we go about our discussion tonight, we can keep in mind and recognize 
both the diversity and the dissonance within human thinking at this time on this theme. And also to keep in mind the fact that a singular ideal does exist in the higher realms of mind. Surely there are many people at this meeting tonight who disagree about the best way to achieve world unity. Such disagreements should not be seen as an impediment to world unity or a sign that it's very far from working out, but rather evidence that it is working out just as it should through the diversity and the creative spirit, which underlies the whole theme of the human experience. And so before we begin, let us join together in thought and sound together the mantra of unification. We will use the adapted version of the mantra. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact and do service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of life, light, and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. So as we consider the theme of world's unity, and not just the ideal, but its actual expression through human civilization, there are several questions we can keep in mind. For instance, what do we mean by world's unity? How do we define it? And how will we know when it has been achieved? Also, 
What role should global governance play in world unity? And what is its right relationship to national sovereignty? Regarding national borders, should we work to eliminate limitations to movement across national borders? Or is this something that will naturally occur as right relationships between nations is achieved? Regarding the economy, today we have a global economic market and it has created both winners and losers and by many metrics has increased inequality in the world. With this in mind, what role should economic policy play in the quest to establish world unity? And the final question, are there special moral responsibilities that one holds towards others in one's nation? And if so, how would a culture of world unity affect this moral responsibility. Today, we will only have time to briefly touch on these questions and to present just a few of the many viewpoints that exist. But I invite all of you here tonight to begin thinking and to formulate your own responses to these questions as you wish. There will be time for discussion after the meditation. So what exactly is world unity? Surely people mean different things when they use this phrase. In the view of the ageless wisdom philosophy can perhaps be encompassed in a few of the lines from the mantra of unification, which we just sounded. For instance, let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone that which seeks expression through the ideal of world unity is in fact an inner union between the soul and the form within which it dwells. And when we can quote, let the soul control the outer form in all events, end quote, then the soul who knows itself to be at one with all souls becomes manifest. This, of course, is only possible through the medium of the human kingdom. In the ageless wisdom tradition, the energy of goodwill is key to establishing world unity. This energy, we are told, is the lowest correspondence to the spiritual will itself as it works out through human thought, activity, and relationships. The organizing of the people of goodwill and the cultivation and coordination of this energy on a mass scale has the potential to literally solve all of humanity's problems. For all of them are fundamentally problems of relationship of one type or another. And outside the ageless wisdom tradition, there are numerous philosophers and academics, thinkers, who have written upon world unity, upon this ideal. The most salient of these falls under the umbrella of what is called cosmopolitanism. Now, cosmopolitanism is not really a singular 
ideology, rather. It is a wide range of socio-political and moral philosophies. Etymologically, the, the word is Greek and means literally citizen of the world. And the one thing that is common across all the many different types of cosmopolitanism is the belief that all human beings are, or should be, part of a global community. Proponents of cosmopolitanism take different approaches, often depending upon their field of specialization. For instance, some are moral philosophers and so will look at the moral implications. Others are economists and look specifically at the economic models and the economic structures which um, affect uh, macroeconomics and the trade between nations. Others are political scientists and so look at the role of the nation state, for instance, in international institutions such as the United Nations. Political scientists um, will look at first, they really, as I said, focus mostly on the role of the nation state and where the locus of power should be. On the one hand, we have so-called strict cosmopolitanists who advocate for a centralized world state and the weakening or the elimination of national sovereignty. On the other hand, so-called more moderate cosmopolitans advocate for a coordinated and central body with power over states only in cases of grave global concern, such as gross violations of human rights, of genocide, or of international war crimes. And still others are even more moderate and advocate for increased global cooperation via international institutions and the maintaining of full state sovereignty of the type we currently have today. Disagreement about the role of the nation state is perhaps one of the most profound areas of disagreement among cosmopolitan thinkers. For while some see states as just and legitimate arbiters of the will of the people, others see them as inherently self-seeking and inimical to a free and equitable world. This disagreement really centers on whether or not one believes it is possible for nation states to be brought into right relationship. The role that democracy should play in a unified world is also of special concern. Proponents of cosmopolitan democracy believe that global governance must maintain democratic legitimacy in order to be just and to preserve the principle of the self-determination of peoples. And some see global democracy as a way to strengthen uh, national sovereignty and its role in global governance. And on the other hand, there is another camp who sees global democracy, and these are the so-called strict cosmopolitans, as a way to subvert national sovereignty by granting greater legitimacy to some supranational body, such as some um, global legislature, which is elected by elections throughout the world. And on the economic front, proponents of cosmopolitanism tend to favor free markets 
and totally and a totally globalized economy. In the past few decades, it has become increasingly clear that globalization, while it does increase global GDP, produces both winners and losers. And although, and although globalization of national economies has lifted many out of poverty, global inequality between the developed and developing countries has grown. Today, Multinational corporations have fiscal revenues that exceed the GDP of small countries. And the question with which many economists are today concerned is how to preserve the benefits of capitalism and globalization, while at the same time ensuring that future growth benefits those who still need it the most. Those who work on this problem are divided, of course, on the best way forward. Some advocate for more binding regulations at the international level. There was a recent proposal at the G7 summit for a global minimum tax of 15% that many, um, that the US actually brought forward. This seeks to hold these multinational corporations accountable for paying their fair share of taxes. Many, though, argue that this will put developing countries at a greater disadvantage. This begs the question, of course, what degree of economic equality is morally acceptable and how much is needed to achieve the ideal of world unity. One can assume that there is at least a minimum degree of prosperity that is needed countries governed responsibly are able to provide economic opportunities for their citizens to make to meet their basic needs live a dignified life what this threshold is of course is up um, for debate this is a type of question that um, sort of starts to blur the lines between economic uh, thought and moral thought. And there are many um, moral philosophers who look at the issue of cosmopolitanism. In addition to the economic question, um, another uh, question that they look at is the, the issue of individual responsibility with regard to loyalty to one's national group. The central question of concern is whether it is moral to give one's fellow nationals a special privilege over the well-being of others. These so-called um, strict cosmopolitans, which this whole strict and moderate is really an oversimplification that we're just using to sort of get an idea of some of these major viewpoints. But if you look sort of on one hand, the more strict uh, cosmopolitans will argue that national allegiance must give way to a higher morality and be um, subverted or done away with in order that one can act without prejudice to anyone. On the other hand, the more moderate cosmopolitans posit that there are special duties and responsibilities to those in one's national group 
and that these can be fulfilled alongside one's responsibilities to a sort of global community as well. They say that in the same way that one, is, one can be a national citizen at the, and at the same time a brother, a sister, a wife, or a husband, and fulfill those special responsibilities, so too can um, national and international responsibilities be fulfilled at the same time. And so with this sort of idea of the global and the local in mind, um, this brings our attention to um, what is a, a big issue today, especially at the UN, is this idea between the relationship between the global sort of macroeconomics, global international politics, and the local level. This is like the communities that people actually live in. And what we can see today is that many people at the local level are increasingly concerned um, with global issues, but also specifically how those global issues impact their local area and what they can do to, to make their local area um, a better place. Many are finding that they can maintain their national identities while at the same time adopting a sort of global identity as well. And along with this sort of acceptance of this sort of dual identity, people at the local level are working today like never, never before at creating greater prosperity with a greater sense of the good of the whole in their local area. This work takes many forms, of course, but um, on its face isn't directly related to macroeconomics or global politics. It doesn't seem like it's really related to world unity is what I'm trying to say, but actually it is. Um, because world unity definitely does have a local component. So going back to um, the ageless wisdom philosophy and back to goodwill, which we know is perhaps most easily seen at the local level. The Tibetan writes that all those people who work for goodwill and in their local areas really form one group. And this group can and must be organized um, in order to recognize their collective power. He states that when this energy of goodwill is paired with an intelligent understanding of the needs of humanity, then the head and heart are aligned and the work of building a culture which respects the wholeness of humanity can be built. Those of us here tonight, I assume, tend to look at the problem of world unity from the perspective of the perennial philosophy or or the ageless wisdom, as it is also called. This philosophy provides a sound framework for the interaction of both spiritual and natural law. And because of this is profoundly well-placed to inform the social evolution of humanity. And I think this really highlights the importance of our work here in these meetings at the full moon. 
But such a task requires thinking in terms of relationship, it requires deep thinking. And this deep thinking must be thinking in terms of relationship and not just thinking in the analytical sense. It requires reaching through focused thought beyond the limitations of the concrete mind and towards the intuition itself. The intuition is a source of the profoundest fusion and at one and synthesis. And when it inspires and acts upon the lower mind, it creates a sense and brings forth a sense of the whole, a sense of the whole. The soul, of course, um, the thinker and the true self also exists upon the plane of mind. This soul sees the way between the two great lines of force and when present also allows us to tread the path forward into a more perfect, more whole and more unified future. And so it is the task of all those who can respond to this vision, respond to the soul to help as they can to mediate between, um, mediate between that which the more exoteric thinkers have in play that which the more esoteric thinkers from all traditions can vision. And so now let us, um, with this all in mind, proceed into our meditation. Strengthening the hands of the new group of world servers. We affirm the fact of group fusion within the heart center of the new group of world servers. United with the group, we sound together the mantra. I am one with my group brothers and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them.
alignment. We recognize our place as a group within the heart center of the new group of world servers. Mentally extend a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart, to the Christ, which is the who is the heart of love within the hierarchy, and towards Shambhala, where the will of God is known. Higher interlude. Hold the mind focused for a few moments on the planetary role of the group of world servers, mediating between hierarchy and humanity, responding to hierarchical impression, mediating the plan into existence.
meditation. Reflect on the seed thought through the impression and expression of certain great ideas, humanity must be brought to the understanding of the fundamental ideals which will govern the new age. This is the major task of the group of world servers. Precipitation. Visualize the precipitation of the will to good, essential love throughout the planet. 
from Shambhala, through the planetary heart, the hierarchy, through the Christ, the group of world servers, through all men and women of goodwill everywhere in the world, and finally through the hearts and minds of the whole human family. interlude. Consider the many ways in which the power of the one life, the love of the one soul are working out through members of the group of world servers. So building a thought form of solution to world plot problems.
distribution. As the great invocation is sounded, visualize the irradiation of human consciousness with light, love, and power. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills. The purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. So I'd now like to invite anyone who um, would like to speak or has a comment to share. Uh, please do so by either raising your hand, which can be found under the reactions icon um, on your Zoom toolbar. Or you can, if you don't wish to speak audibly, to enter your comment into the chat, and I will read it out loud. Looks like we have a message here from Matthew Martin, who writes, world unity has to include diversity and differences as much as possible. 
world's unity will be built upon the common needs and values of all people and all nations, and as we all cooperate towards achieving our common goals. A world government, quote, world government, can just be thought of as a structure for world cooperation. This world government can then coordinate international efforts to solve global conflicts, promote human rights, and protect our common global environment. Thank you, Matthew. It's in a sense the UN um, already does perform many of those functions you list, actually. And uh, I don't I don't know if I would really call it a world government necessarily, although it does provide what many people refer to as a form of global governance. Um, so yeah, and very interesting thoughts. It's another issue where the world, the term world government means many different things to many different people. For some people, it's, you know, almost offensive. And for other people, it's a very sort of harmless term. Um, so yeah, in the end, I think as these things work out into actual form is when there's the most you know, disagreement, but when we can get to the principles behind them, that's really, I think, key to uh, sort of getting on the same page. it's natural for us to take some time to um, collect our thoughts and to consider um, what it is we'd like to share. So please do take as much time as you need. Another line of thought, which um, wasn't really mentioned in the presentation is the idea of peace and um, to what degree peace is necessary to achieve world unity. Um, of course, there are many different definitions of peace. There is just, of course, the absence of conflict between nations uh, international conflict, but today there is a lot of uh, strife, a lot of fighting within governments, a lot of civil wars, and a lot of civil conflict that um, international institutions such as the United Nations aren't really equipped to um, do anything about because they're purely domestic issues. A civil war is, for instance, um, sometimes they can play a mediating role, but if the parties don't want any mediation, there's really not much in many instances that can be done. So there's another sort of dilemma that humanity is gradually working out. I think a really interesting question also that I, that I just briefly mentioned earlier was, uh, you know, if we don't have a, a really firm and universal definition of world unity, you know, how are we going to know when we've achieved it? 
you know, if we want to do all this work towards a goal, shouldn't we have, shouldn't we make that goal achievable? So what is that goal and how will we know when we've achieved it? It's uh, something very, very interesting to, to ponder. Um, looks like we have a talk here from the LPC desk. Um, it says, how does the group think a peaceful world without economic divisions would come about? Good question. Would it be the result of extreme global conflict? For example, a banding together to combat global warming? Or would it come about through less extreme measures? I'm trying to imagine it. Yes, that's such an interesting idea that some sort of conflict would actually be the sort of catalyst to create greater degree of unity. Um, World War II, you know, the UN emerged out of World War II, of course, and that was a tremendous conflict within the world and within humanity, and out of it emerged, you know, what we have today. Um, so thank you, LPC Desk. Um, Jorge Alberto Radielli says, world unity must be built upon the recognition of the unity and equality of human souls. So it's a very, very important statement, Jorge. Thank you very much. I think um, the idea or the fact that, um, you know, once the soul is universally recognized and scientifically proven, what will that do to global politics? Will global politics even care? Who knows? But I think we're seeing today that everything is so interrelated course, politics and economics, but also social issues are becoming so salient in the political field. Um, I can't imagine that it wouldn't have a profound effect. Mel says, hello, I want to highlight the need for a local process, individual and national, for developing world unity. Thank you, Mel. Yes, the local, local processes are really, really important. Um, and there's a lot going on, so much that I can't even really think of anything specific at this moment. Um, I know the UN does all sorts of stuff at the individual and local level. Um, Matthew Martin, uh, maybe actually somebody has uh, an example that they can think of in their area where there's local work being done to achieve a measure of unity and unification and a sense of the whole, the global whole in their area. And if they, they can think of it, I invite you please to, to share it. Matthew Martin says, how can the harmful and violent conflicts in the world be solved? Any ideas? Well, there is a lot being done at the United Nations in terms of mediation. And I think um, the field of mediation is a relatively new field. It's not really that old, um, if you think about it. And there's a lot of really cutting edge stuff being done in terms of techniques that can be done to um, mediate conflicts. Of course, it's most easy when both conflicts want mediation. Um, when neither of them want mediation, of course, then there's not much a mediator can do. Um, Nicole Sriskanda says, developing right human relations starts from developing right relations with oneself through reflection and empathy. 
I think many souls have been going through transformative processes lately with the evolutional growth of spiritual vision. I believe people will start to pay attention to humans on a soul level. That's an excellent point. I think when one sort of has that vision of the soul or some sort of spiritual awakening, they can't really see things in the same way any longer. And one can imagine if humanity on a mass, perhaps even all of our political leaders in every country had some sort of awakening simultaneously, what that would do to, um, to international relations. Um, Clint Galvin says, watching our time, um, the soul's influence has led me to believe that world unity can only be accomplished when humanity stops seeing those who disagree with him as being wrong, but instead should try to reach out to those we know, but who don't think as we do, and try to express some admiration, agreement, or respect for their views instead of arguing with them or trying to use reason. This expression of goodwill is one way we can ease the tensions which divide us. Surely we each know someone in our own circle of friends or relatives that this type of peacemaking can be accomplished. We need to heal the divide within our own tribes before world unity will result. Thank you, Clint. Excellent comment. Um, DNA has a, I don't know if I pronounced your name correctly, forgive me. DNA Jean Aldrich says, uh, I think this is addressed to Matthew Martin, self-governance by dissolving the inner conflict, the inner war between the harmful urges slash desires, the personality versus the love and purity of the soul. LPC desk states, one example of a local process in fighting violence against women, for instance, the UN has to adjust its approach on a country-by-country -country basis, and they invest a lot of resources to understand the conflicts on a local level. One size doesn't fit all. Yes, excellent point. Steve Nation states, writes, one way of looking at world unity is to see it as a process that has been unfolding since the end of World War II. The sense of human unity and the oneness of life has grown enormously during this period. There's evidence of this in the global movements inspired by a will to transform human relations with the environment. Thank you, Steve. I think it's important to note also that though I, the presentation given a bit ago focused a lot on global politics and macroeconomics, um, the movement towards world unity occurs at all levels of human thinking and it permeates all aspects of human civilization. And I agree, Steve, it has been gradually unfolding everywhere through all fields of human thought since World War II. Oh, now all the comments are coming in. It's like a deluge. Just as we close, um, get to the end of our time here. Um, so I'll read just a few more before we conclude. If anybody wants to, of course, share audibly, they're still free to raise their hand. Gary Marks writes, I believe world uni unity derives um, currently from a subjective side for the new group of world servers. 
as the human Antakaran is built, greater continuity of consciousness, bridging the subjective and objective, will increase goodwill, unity, and, inclusive, and inclusivity on Earth. First, world unity moves from being a patriot of one's nation, but also desiring the highest of for all nations, to a greater cooperation between nations, etc. World leaders need to move from cutting off from wisdom and soul expression to a greater continuity of consciousness and service. Jalan says, on a somewhat microcosmic scale, unity in the world of the workplace has lately been expressed via increased emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion. The social unrest of the past year has awakened leaders to many workplaces to do more to include those whose roles and points of view have not been recognized in the past. This emphasis on DEI has enlarged the concept of unity in the workplace. Michael Stamper writes, the amazing thing is that with the amount of global conflict already present, right relations will inevitably come about. The human race is highly adaptable and capable of evolution. There seem to be more and more influence present coming from members of the new group of world servers. If we consider, for example, that some of the most wealthy people on earth are directing large sums of money into achieving sustainable development goals as proposed by the United Nations. We all have our individual parts to play and it seems people are becoming aware of what that means to them. Based on my own subjective observations of the people around me and the people of goodwill with more economic influence than many others. Thank you. So we'll do just one last comment um, from Steve Nation here. He says, rather than something to be accomplished, world unity is an ideal that is inspiring, increasing numbers of people and is reflected in countless historical processes, including what happens at the UN, but also something like the World Unity Week or events like prayer meetings that link members of different faiths locally, nationally, and globally. Jessica Hoffmeyer says, human values should be the precipitation of world unity as we build divine right human relations. Thank you everyone for these really clear, cohent, relevant, and insightful thoughts. This is a really great work we're doing here today. And I thank you all for your participation. So before we conclude with a moment of silence, I'd like to just announce a few uh, upcoming, our upcoming meetings. Our next meeting will be the full moon of, the first full moon of Leo on Friday, July 23rd at 6.30 p.m. The new moon following that will be the Leo full moon, Monday, August 9th at 6 o'clock p.m. EDT. Following upon that meeting will be the second festival of Leo meeting, Saturday, August 21st at 3 p.m. Please note that time is at 3 p.m. On the weekends, we do hold our full moon meetings at 3 p.m. So to conclude now, um, 
let us join together in a moment of silence. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.